Well, it's an important part of the epic story of J.R. Tolkien, uh, the Lord of the Rings. There's a, there's a moment in this story where the kingdom of Gondor is, is facing a massive invasion by the evil hordes of Mordor. And their crumbling defenses are matched by their crumbling confidence. The darkening sky seems to forebode their dark fate. But in the midst of this, this perilous hour, this time of darkness, beacons are lit. A series of signal fires are lit up one by one, relaying a message, a call for help. And as these fires are lit, hope is ignited. Those waiting on the walls of the city of Gondor uh, in, in their capital city, they, they know that these beacons will be seen by their neighbors, their old allies in the neighboring kingdom of Rohan. In Rohan, the fires are seen and, and the, the message in the palace is the beacons are lit. Gondor calls for aid. And yet, would the old alliance be honored? Gondor called, but would Rohan answer? Would they themselves, who were still recovering from an invasion, would they send their armies to help their old allies? Could they? Could they together muster enough strength to beat off the armies of evil? Well, as the story goes, uh, the, the kingdom of Rohan does come. They answer the call and the horse soldiers of Rohan, they heroically uh, give their lives on the battlefield to help their neighbors. Well, in, this, in these beacons that are lit, these signal fires that call for aid, in a way, prayer can be likened to such a beacon system, calling for help. And though less visible than signal fires on mountaintops, prayer is far more powerful. Prayer is, is far more sure because it puts us in touch with God Himself. Prayer puts in a, in a direct line, not to the king of some neighboring kingdom who is himself a weak man, but to the king of heaven, the king of kings and lord of lords. Well, our scripture passage this morning tells us of a time when a suffering people cried out for help. As they groaned their desperate prayers from parched throats in the labor camps under the Egyptian sun, their prayers may have seemed to just evaporate into thin air. The prayers were, were prayed, and yet their work continued and went on and on. There was, as, as they poured out their hearts to God, there was no shaking of the heavens. There was only the sting of their taskmaster's whips. Get back to work. The voice of God wasn't heard in response. No, only, only the voices of their taskmasters. And yet, those prayers, which seemed so powerless, which seemed to fall flat, which seemed to do nothing, which seemed to be a waste of breath, those prayers would prove as momentous for Israel as the lighting of the beacons was for Gondor. 
So please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 this morning. Exodus chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, you can find this text on page 43. Page 43. As we continue our study through the book of Exodus this morning, we've seen in uh, last Sunday that Moses, who seemed like he would be the deliverer of Israel, he, he was in a position to help, so it seemed, being raised in the palace, uh, the adopted son of, of Pharaoh's daughter. And, and despite of being raised in all the, the opulence and wealth of the palace of Egypt, he still had a heart for the suffering slaves in the labor camp. He still, in faith, identified with him, with them, and and chose to identify with them and, and no longer to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but in faith to count it more more worthy and more rewarding, even to suffer reproach with the people of God than to endure the pleasures of sin, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And Moses had, had stood up for an Israelite slave who was being beaten. He'd even killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And when his act was told to Pharaoh, it, it seems by one of his own people, Moses had to flee. Moses would spend the next 40 years in exile in faraway Midian, herding sheep, a seeming failure, one who had perhaps overly rashly taken matters into his own hands, but nevertheless, who was, who was willing to help his people, and yet who was betrayed and rejected by them, as they said, who made you a prince and a ruler over us? Moses was far away. Pharaoh was still ruling, but as we come to our text this morning, we see that the king of Egypt died, and yet hope, hope did not seem to come alive with the death of Pharaoh. If you have your place this morning, Exodus 2, we're going to start in verse 23 and read down to verse 25, and I would ask if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus 2, starting in verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You may be seated. Well, as we consider this passage this morning, we'll do so by considering, first of all, the cry of the people, the cry of the people, and then secondly, the response of God, the response of God. And then last of all, we'll consider what this passage teaches us about prayer 
and about the character of God to whom true prayers are made. So first of all, the cry of the people. We see in verse 23 that during those many days, the king of Egypt died. This reminds us that Israel suffered for a long time. Many days. Many days Moses was in exile in Midian. Many days Israel continued to be in slavery. Year after year. Decade after decade. Their backs were broken and their spirits crushed by the heavy slavery that they endured. And yet we see that the king of Egypt died. Their cruel oppressor He couldn't escape the oppression of death. He who took the lives of others with a word, with a decree, now found himself helpless and powerless as his own life was taken from him. But as one cruel oppressor died, another arose to take his place. Pharaoh's death didn't bring deliverance. The new regime picked up where the previous one left off. The king of Egypt died And the people groaned in their slavery. We see in verse 23 that they groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They cried out for help, but but who would hear? The Egyptians were unwilling to help. You know, they feared a Hebrew uprising. To them, these people were, were dangerous foreigners who had multiplied among them. They were... They were numerous, they were a threat to political safety, and they had to be kept down, they had to be kept in their place from the Egyptian point of view. And besides, they were were building the wealth and glory of Egypt. The, The Egyptians felt like they were benefiting from the work of these Hebrew slaves. They were unwilling to lose their labor. Though a new pharaoh might have come and lightened their loads and reversed the, the system of slavery that his, of his predecessor, he chose to let it continue. He didn't set them free. Though he, would, though he would have been able to help them, he was unwilling to help them. The cries of the Israelites for help were ignored by the Egyptians. They, they turned the other way. They plugged their ears. Their taskmasters beat them harder if need be. And so the Israelites cried out for help, but the Egyptians were unwilling to answer. Who would hear them? The Hebrews, the other Hebrews, they may have heard the cries of their fellow slaves, but they were unable to help. They themselves were in bondage, in captivity. They, the, the, the cries of their fellows would have simply been added to their own as they cried out for help. And who, who would hear? Moses? Moses was far away, a distant memory, far away in Midian. Who knows what had become of him? The Israelites cried out for help, but who would hear? Moses, as they cried out for help, we read that their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Their cry for help came like a, like a weary messenger knocking at heaven's door. And this was prayer. Since the Egyptians would not hear, Israel in desperation 
lit the beacons, so to speak, and called for aid to God above. Deuteronomy 26, 6 and 7 confirms that they were praying to the God of their fathers. They began praying to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It says in Deuteronomy 26, 6 and 7, as, as Moses reflects on their deliverance from Egypt, he says, The Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. So this was a cry not to the idols of Egypt who couldn't do anything to help them. This was a cry to the God of their fathers, the living God, the true God. Their cry for rescue came up to God. And what would God do? What would his response be? This brings us to our second point this morning. We've seen the cry of the people. Now let's turn to consider the response of God. The response of God. We see in verse 24, and God heard their groaning. God heard their groaning. Now, doesn't God hear all things? You know, God, God hears a word uttered in secret. He knows the hidden counsels of the wicked who plot in secrecy in the dark of night and in confidential locations. He, he knows the words which form in every mind and that are never given utterance through the mouth. He, God is the one who discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No word whispered into the ear goes unheard by him who knows all things and declares the end from the beginning. So, so what is it to say that God heard their groaning? I mean, of course, right? But this indicates a special kind of hearing. It communicates that, that God is, as it were, leaning in to listen. This is not the, the reluctant hearing of one who, you know, is, is hearing the kids shouting as you're trying to take a nap. This isn't the hearing of one who's annoyed with the construction noise while trying to have a conversation. No, their cry for help came up to God, having come up like a weary messenger to heaven's door, and it was invited in. It came up to God. And the king of Egypt, he may have shut his ears to the cries of his slaves, but the king of heaven heard them. God heard their groaning. How Pharaoh should have trembled at this moment. How terror should have frozen him stiff and stolen all strength from his body. How his strength should have withered like a dead leaf in a furnace and his heart sank in despair. When God hears the cries of the oppressed, let those who abuse them fear. Because God may take up the sword of vengeance. And who can deliver you from his hand? Romans 8 says that if God is for us, who can be against us? But if God picks up the sword of vengeance against you, who can be for you? Who can save you from his hand? Will, will Satan come to your aid? Will other sinners rise up to help you against the lion of the tribe of Judah when he sets upon you to tear you to pieces 
How Pharaoh should have trembled when God heard the cries of the suffering. Let the example of Pharaoh be a warning to abusers, to bullies, to oppressors everywhere. If you do not repent, you may feel powerful. You may feel in charge for a time. You may sit on the throne of the most powerful kingdom in the world and have mighty armies at your disposal, but you will be drowned at last in the Red Sea of God's vengeance and wrath and suffer eternally with none to deliver you. God heard their groaning. And though they didn't see it yet, from heaven above, their deliverance was set in motion. This was the turning point for Israel. When they began to cry out to the Lord, it was the beginning of the end of their slavery. As we see in verse 24, that not only did God hear their groaning, but He remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God remembered His covenant. Now once again, we might ask, what's this? I mean, of course, can God even forget anything to begin with? God knows all things. Isaiah 41, 22 says that, that he knows the past and the meaning of history as well as the future. It says there, tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. God alone, the true God, is the one who declares the end from the beginning. He cannot forget. And so what does it mean then that he that he remembered his covenant. Well, the Bible often speaks of this way in, in sort of an idiomatic way. And it shows us that from our perspective, God, he, he's intervening in a special way to help someone. And he's doing so with reference to a promise that he previously made. And so it appears as though God is remembering to say that God remembered, as, as Douglas Stewart puts it, a Bible commentator, he says, to say God remembered his covenant is to say that God decided to honor the terms of his covenant at this time. He had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that he would bring their offspring out of a land that was not theirs, that, that he would free them from a, a nation under which they would be oppressed. And he would judge that nation. And he would bring them into the promised land of Canaan, the, the land that God had promised to Abraham's offspring. And so God is said to remember his covenant in order to show us that what God was about to do, he was about to do in reference to his promises. He was about to keep his word. This was a matter of God's faithfulness as well as God's compassion. In emphasizing this, we're reminded that God, He always remembers His promises. He never makes a promise that He doesn't keep. We might commit to be somewhere at a certain time. We might tell someone that we're going to do something. And what do we do so often? We let people down. We forget. Even even the most well-intentioned people, even the most organized people, at times, they may forget. But God, He never forgets. 
God is faithful and He will do all that He has promised to do. We read in verse 25 that God saw the people of Israel. But doesn't God see all things? What's it to say that He saw the people of Israel? Of course He did, right? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. It's true that God sees all things. He sees what happens at the bottom of the Mariana Trench in the ocean depths, the most distant galaxies that will never be recognized by a human eye or, or telescope are under His constant watch. Deeds done in, in darkness behind closed doors in the pitch blackness are as visible to God as if they were done in the middle of Main Street under the noonday sun. He sees everything. And yet, as Psalm 34.15 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And His ears toward their cry. This is, this is a special kind of seeing then that, that is being spoken of here. When it says that God saw the people of Israel... This is seeing them in a special way that, is, that bears mentioning, that bears pointing out in this text. And so in this context, in this passage, in this unfolding narrative of the book of Exodus, seeing them, who, who at this time were crying out for rescue from their slavery, it has to do with God showing concern and care for them. He heard and saw them with compassion. That's what, as these verbs are, are piled up, the cry came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God saw the people of Israel. This is, this is emphasizing that God is seeing them with compassion. Notice it says that God saw the people of Israel. It reminds us of Jesus when, it, when He saw the crowds he said, it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9.36 God saw the people of Israel. Humans often see those in need of help and we see problems. We see something that needs to be fixed. We see a disturbance in our, in our peaceful day. We see something that might interrupt our busy schedule. God sees people. God saw the people of Israel. What about us? Do we, do we reflect this virtue of divine compassion when there are others around us who are suffering and in need? Do we, do we see them as people in need of help? Or do we just see problems? Do we just see something that, that, that is annoying us? We just want to fix it as, as fast as we can so we can move on. Or do we see a person to love, a person to show compassion towards as God does? How do you see those around you who are suffering? Moses shared God's heart. He had compassion on, on Israel. He was angered at their oppression. But he didn't share God's power, did he? When Moses saw, back in 
back in verse 12 of this chapter, when, when he saw them, he, he looked, went out and he looked on their burdens. And then he, he acted to intervene and to help. His effort fails. But when God saw, in verse 25, his seeing makes the difference. Moses is kind of drawing our attention to this in this passage, you know, by using that same word for see. Moses went out and saw their burdens, but, but here, God saw. And this, this is when stuff starts happening. When God sees, when he takes notice of the people of Israel in this special way of compassion, things are about to start happening. In verse 25, it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. The NASB may get closer to expressing the richness of the meaning of the original Hebrew with its translation, God took notice of them. As John Gill put it, God had a, had a favorable regard to them or, quote, knew not only them, the Israelites, and loved them and approved of them and owned them as his own, all which words of knowledge sometimes signify in, in the Hebrew. But he knew their sorrows and sufferings. This, this word is not just like a, a cognitive awareness. It's a, it's a special kind of knowing. God knew. He took notice of them. He knew them with a more with a more intimate knowledge as his people, as, as he's going to call Moses in the, as the story unfolds. We'll be looking at next time with the burning bush. God identifies these as his people. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He knows those who take refuge in him. God's response to this cry for rescue is, is gloriously and magnificently compassionate. Those who are suffering, who are being wounded and oppressed and abused, they long to be heard, they long to be seen, to be understood by one who truly cares for them. And one of the greatest kindnesses you can show someone in suffering is to listen, to give them your whole undivided attention as they pour out their heart to you, to work to understand their pain, to, as Romans 13 says, or Romans 12, to weep with those who weep. This is the meaning of compassion. And yet, how, how weak we so often are in this divine virtue. We, so often we listen with distracted thoughts. And even when we do our best to see the person in front of us, and not just simply to see a, a problem, even when we do our best to know their pain, how insufficient we are in this. We're prone to misunderstand. They're prone to miscommunicate. Things are prone to get lost in translation, but God knows. Even if the words are a jumble as they're coming out, even as perhaps you're, you've tried to share your experience with another person, and, and, they, and then you try to go to God and... and and pour out your heart to him, and, and you try to de describe your situation, and the words don't come, and all you can do is groan and sigh. God knows. He hears, and he knows. 
He knows you. He knows what is going on in your heart, even if you can't find the words to explain it. He sees the people to their very souls. He knows us truly. He knows the true depths of our sorrows and our sufferings. And yes, He knows our sins too. But how compassionate He is. Listen to these verses in Psalm Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Isaiah 40, 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The people cried out for help. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We see the, the cry of the people. We see that we've seen the response of God. But now let's turn more, more directly to apply these truths to our own lives. And as we think about the prayer of the people, as they cry out to the Lord for rescue, what they're doing is praying. And this reminds us that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. In unfolding the narrative of Exodus as God does here, he shows us that that prayer mattered. It was when they cried out to God and God heard and God remembered and God saw, that's when things started to really change. That's That's when things were set in motion in heaven. And this isn't just some isolated little point in Scripture that, that's made only here in Exodus 2, 23 through 25. This is a lesson writ large across pages of the Old and the New Testament that, that prayer is powerful and God does His mightiest acts. He, he does them often in response to the prayers of His people. Now, God needs no permission God needs no permission from us to do anything. He needs no reminding. As I said, He knows all things. And God had already promised to bring Israel up from Egypt at about this time. He had already made this promise to to Abraham, their forefather, and His covenant with them. So, prayer? like did, Did prayer really make a difference? God was going to do this anyways, right? Wrong. Right, but wrong, if you think that way. Because we see that God not only promises to do certain things, He he doesn't just promise the end result, but He also ordains how it will come about. God doesn't just decree the destination, but He also decrees the path to reach that destination. God who ordains the the ends ordains the means in order to accomplish those ends. And and so here we see that God ordains prayer as the means by which He would fulfill His promise. 
God doesn't need our prayers, and yet, in his wisdom, he has chosen to accomplish his plans and purposes in history through the prayers of his people. And so this is a reminder for us to pray. It's a reminder for us to pray and that prayer is prayer matters. As Ephesians 6:18 instructs us that we're to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication is is asking. It's making a request to God. Making our request known to God that, so that when He fulfills, when He does what we've asked Him to do in Jesus' name and according to His will, we'll have all the more reason to thank God and to praise Him and to rejoice that He has allowed us to play a part in His sovereign purposes in history. Prayer is powerful because God has chosen to work through prayer. So do you want to see revival in America? Do you want to see revival in our churches? Do you want to see marriages strengthened against Satan's attacks? Do you want to see children honoring their parents and more churches purified of hypocrisy? Do you want to see a more vibrant display of Christ-like love between Christians? Do you want to see less alcoholism, less porn addiction, less drug abuse, less slandering, less gossiping, less lying, less anger problems, less domestic abuse, less anxiety problems, less cheating, less stealing, less worldliness, less foolishness, less self-righteousness and pride and selfishness? Do you want to see more love for Christ, more holiness, more heavenly-mindedness, more evils confronted, more acts of mercy, more boldness to share the gospel, more faithful parenting, more hospitality, more honor for one another, more children adopted, more prisoners visited, more widows cared for, more knowledge of the scripture, more humility before God, then brothers and sisters, pray. Be committed to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. The greatest men and women of God who have been most useful in his service have been those who recognize their own weakness, their own inability, and who made it their habit to be regularly before the throne of grace, pleading with God for his help, for his help and and his strength against the, the indwelling sin within them, against the powers of the forces of darkness that they confronted and that, the, that greater power from God would be at work in them and through them. And so they spent, they spent much time pleading with God for his help. They've been people of prayer. We see that, you know, the great revivals of history. If you, if you go back and study the history and then you go back a little farther, what, what were the people of God doing before the great awakening? What you'll find is people were began to pray. People began to pray. So we see here in Exodus 2 the the importance and the power of prayer. But we also see in God's response, His compassion and His faithfulness. 
And as we've already thought about, this is a great comfort to those who trust in Christ. We can take comfort in God's compassion that He hears us. And you who have been adopted by God through faith in Christ, He invites you now to call Him Father and to make your requests known to Him. All the more reason to pray. You're praying to your Father, and He hears the prayers of His children. Now, true, there are certain circumstances in which perhaps even a a Christian's prayer may not be heard for a time. We read in, in 1 Peter, for example, that if a husband is not living with his wife in an understanding way, his prayers may be hindered. And this is a discipline from God to cause such husbands to repent. But though God may discipline us at times for our good, He is full of mercy and ready to meet us with His fatherly embrace. When like the prodigal, we run back to Him in repentance, He is running to us to meet us and forgive us. So God, furthermore, He heard the prayers of His Son, His unique Son, His only begotten Son. We read that when Jesus was walking this world in the days of His flesh, we read that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Hebrews 5-7. Christ has walked this thorn-cursed ground that we tread in this world. He has felt the pain that we feel and those pains that if we are trusting in Him, we will never know. His prayers were watered with tears and punctuated with loud cries. And brothers and sisters, He prayed for us. He prayed for us. One of the things Jesus prayed, we can read in John 17. Brothers and sisters, meditate on this prayer. Let it, let it comfort your soul that the eternal Son of God in human flesh, He prayed this for you. He said, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, we can take comfort in God's compassion. Because even as we've seen in these, these verbs in this text, that God heard, God saw the people, God knew. We can know that He understands us as no one else does. People may misjudge you. But God knows the truth. People may slander you, but God knows you. His is the only opinion that will matter on that day. And it's the only opinion that matters now. Yes, He knows the sins that other people, even those that may think you're a dirtbag and may be trying to destroy your reputation or slandering you or gossiping about you or whatever, he, God knows the sins that they don't even know that you would be ashamed if they knew. And yet, God knows you and loves you. He knows that you are His and, and that He's removed your sin as far, as far from you as the east is from the west. 
He's covered all of your transgressions under the blood of Christ that was once and for all shed on the cross as a sufficient sacrifice for sin, acceptable to God. If others, even the most merciful of people, if they saw you for, with your true colors in your worst moments, if they saw the, the darkness of sin that sometimes wells up within your heart, that you, that you restrain, that you hold back, would they be as kind and compassionate to you as God is? If they could see the ugliness of our indwelling sin, their wells of compassion may dry up. But God, the holy God, the, one, the same one who dwells in unapproachable light, he sees all of this and yet is compassionate towards us. He saw us in our sin when as yet we had no love for God, when we were darkened in our understandings, when we were following the prince of the power of the air, when we were hostile towards God like an like a angry, rabid dog, hostile to anyone who gets too close to it. When we were hostile to God, even then when there was nothing in us to love, He loved us. He saw us. He had compassion for us. And he knows us now. Now that he has called us to himself, now that he's caused us to be born again, now that he's planted within us the plant that he waters, the new nature, and he's making us new into the image of Christ. And God takes great pleasure in the work that he's doing within us. It may be a long and slow and painful work. Some days we might wake up and think, man, does God have any more mercy for me? <laughs> How can God continue to put up with me day after day? But God is patient, and he, he, could, he could zap you and, and make you perfectly glorified in a moment and take you to heaven right now, but he chooses to work in you patiently, sanctifying you, making you little by little, day by day, into the image and likeness of His own beloved Son. God knows you, and He knows what you will be one day. Furthermore, we, we see the, the faithfulness of God. We not only see His compassion, we see His faithfulness. We can read the promises of the new covenant and know they are ours. You know, as Israel, as they could have taken comfort in, in the promises that God made to them that he would deliver them from their slavery at about this time. But God has promises for us as well. In the new covenant, in, in Hebrews 8, we can read our inheritance that God has promised to those who believe that they will be his people, and we will, be, we will belong to him. He will be our God. It says there that he will be merciful toward our iniquities, and he will remember our sins no more. That belongs to you as a member of the new covenant. God will remember your sins no more. No more. And that is a promise of God. His faithfulness is bound to it. He will never leave us or forsake us. His dwelling place will be with us for all eternity. 
And that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Yes, God will keep that promise too. God will remember his covenant with Christ and with us who are in Christ and will at the appointed time bring all of these things to their fulfillment. So in God's response to the prayers of the Israelites, we see his, his character, which never changes. And we see, therefore, his compassion and his faithfulness to us who call upon his name and trust in him. God is compassionate and faithful. But what if you're listening this morning and you're not sure if you are in Christ? What if you feel at a distance from him even now and that and you know that your life has been straying far from his path. You know that you're far from God, and maybe you're not even sure how to begin to take the first step back. Friend, do as the Israelites did when they were in their slavery in Egypt. God can free you from your slavery to sin, too. Cry, cry out to him for rescue. You don't need to prove yourself worthy of his help. Cry out to him from the middle of the mess that you've made of things. Cry out to him from your misery. He is full of compassion. You don't need to be righteous in order for God to come to help you. For Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, You don't need to be good enough for God. This you can never be. You have fallen too far. One sin would be one too many. God is perfectly holy and he will by no means clear the guilty. You can never be deserving of his help, but praise be to God, you don't have to be deserving because God has compassion for the undeserving. When Jesus walked this earth, the good people of the land, the upstanding citizens, they were puzzled by Jesus because he spent time and ate with those that they wouldn't the tax collectors, the sinners, the equivalent of today's scammers and strippers and drug dealers. They said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friend, for this reason Jesus came, and for this reason you can cry out to him for rescue from where you are. Ask him to come to you. Ask him to save you. Jesus has a promise for you too. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is compassionate and faithful to save those who cry to him for rescue. And so let this be your invitation this morning, if you have not, to cry to him for rescue today. Today, may your cry for rescue come up to God. The God who will hear. The God who will rescue you. The God who is compassionate and faithful and mighty to save. Let's pray.